Welcome to the Seven Figure Summit Podcast. I'm Scott Bywater, the founder and CEO of Copywriting That Sells. We help entrepreneurs leverage their email list, websites, funnels, and ads to get high-quality leads via strategic copy written in your brand's voice. Just go to copywritingthatsells.com.au to see some of our success stories. Also, don't forget, the Seven Figure Summit is always looking for guests. Simply visit podcast.copywritingthatsells.com.au to apply. Welcome, everyone. Today is edition number one of the Seven Figure Summit, where we interview entrepreneurs who have scaled the the summit and come out at the end running a seven-figure company. And today we're going to be interviewing Torin Minatello. And Torin is a is a is a client, and uh, we we become friends over the years. And one of the things that's really fascinated me with uh with with Torin is just his journey uh and his struggle of really scaling that you know scaling that summit to seven figures and then now being in a position where he can almost let go of the reins of his initial real estate business and actually focus on a you know on the passion he loves which is you know involved in sales coaching these days. So, Torin, but the first question I had for you was, um, yeah, looking back over that period of from when you were running a, a you know, a, a six-figure business to moving towards that seven figures, what was a pivotal moment that, you know, for you within that period? Uh, firstly, thanks, Scott. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to be here, mate, and have a chat with you. Uh, about this sort of thing. I love sharing these sort of stories because, you know, I get inspired by other people's stories. So hopefully there's something and that we can share today that might help someone on their pathway, which would be good. So yeah, appreciate that opportunity. Um, yeah. So I think probably just a bit of a snapshot of my story, you know, the way I like to tell it is that it's sort of two halves. It's the first half before the global financial crisis, the first 19 years leading into that. And then subsequently, what I would call the resurrection after that, and the, and that time, you know, that struggle time in between, sort of, you know, coming out of the first half going into the second half. Um, so the pivotal thing was really is like when when the global financial crisis hit. I only just started my own real estate company at that point, even though I'd been in real estate for five or six years at that point, selling as as well as running a couple other smaller businesses, and then eventually thought, okay, real estate's the career for me. And I, and I loved um, working with people and and just that whole selling process. I was able to really get my teeth in and, and make uh, a good business life out of it. But then came on the global financial crisis and things sort of tipped upside down. Uh, and for me, it went through a sort of two to three year process where I just got caught in the in what this world that was happening around the global financial crisis and and being in real estate, there was lots of people in the similar boat and caught in the woes of, you know, lack of funding, property market slowing down, opportunities slowing down. And I think uh, where I'm leading up here to give you the answer is that I got caught in this external world of, okay, I just need to hang on to the rails and hope for the best here. And I sort of did that, but didn't didn't work out that well. And things just started to get worse and worse. And over a two to three year period, I found myself, yeah, you know, pretty depressed and about, oh, is this is this what I've got? I'm in my mid forties, hadn't really had much. I lost a lot of zeros, as I like to say, in my wealth and and what I'd created at that point. Um, and then really, there was a whole bunch of catalysts that was the thing that shifted me. But I like to tell a story about this one particular day, and you would know this guy probably, John McGrath, who's from McGrath Real Estate. 
Um, yep. He came over to Perth to do a, um, I think it was a professional development day, and he was one of the speakers there. And, and it was 11, 11, 12 years ago, and I still remember the feeling from that day, which was one of the catalysts that shifted me. And he, and by that stage, I was three years into this global financial crisis trying to figure my way out of it. And he said, you know, a bunch of things on stage for an hour, brilliant speaker. But the one thing that stood out to me, he said, as an organisation, they had decided they weren't going to participate in the global financial crisis. And I was like, wow, that's just a that's just a, a decision that he's decided. That's an attitude decision. That's not a buying into what's going on around your environment. That's that's an internal thing. And so I then went went to work on that. I thought, well, you know, maybe I could do the same thing is just make a decision that I don't want to stay involved in this. I want to make I want to make a different decision. So, so the, to answer your question is really as it was a it became a decision to then go okay well if it's my external world that's driving all my results what can I change internally that's going to help me change my results and and then really the next two to three months was just about betting down on that and it was an attitude change and as I said there was other things going on which I was working towards but that was one of the pivotal things that really jolted me and and I thought well as an organization if you can make that decision surely as an individual. I can make that decision as well. And so, yeah, so that led me down a, you know, a whole different path of looking inwardly, self-awareness and all those types of things. So I think, you know, to answer your question, sorry, it took a little bit long to get there, but the point is that I had to set the context that, you know, I was in this rut. I, I thought I was going okay from the outside world looking in. Everybody would have said, geez, he's going okay. But internally through that period, I was, uh, you know, pretty much a wreck really and had to, re- uh, had to change the direction and sort of where I am now looking back at that point you know, I'm like North Pole, South Pole. I would never have thought I would have got to where I am now based from that vantage point. But just goes to show that it's more about attitude, more about mindset, more about how you see the world around you versus, you know, um, buying into what's going on in your environment and getting caught in that conditioning. So, so yeah, that was the sort of the big shift for me was a mindset, attitude, uh, thinking about my world, how could I impact? How could I take control? And, and I suppose the first step was just taking responsibility for where I'd got to and stop blaming other people, life circumstances, market economies, you know, fill in the blank. And in the real estate world, that was that was everywhere. You know, there was foreclosures going on. There was banks pulling out fundies on projects. There was all sorts of things going on. So it was easy to get caught up in it. But I think, you know, John's words of, and I've never met John. I've never thanked him for it. Um, but the words of, you know, well, we decided not to participate in that really sort of hit home with me and it made a big shift in in the way I looked at my business and my business life in general. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's great. And what what was it that shifted, like, like in your outer world? So you heard John say that. Were there specific things that you did differently? And where... And also, where was your business at at that stage? Like, was it was it sort of, were you struggling to survive at that stage? Yeah. And what changed after you heard those words in your, words in your outer world? Yeah, well, it's a good question. And and the answer is, yeah, it was struggling. It was a uh, month by month, let's let's use tomorrow's money to pay today's bills or, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was a, a month by month, let's just survive to get through the next month. And, and, you know, my attitude was a little bit at the time was, well, if I can just survive through this, then I'll come out the other side and hopefully things will be okay. Um, but the shift was more about, as I said, taking responsibility was the number one thing. And then that led me down the pathway of, you know, self-awareness 
what did I need to learn? What what was going on with me? Why did I make those decisions that got me into that situation in the first place? And why didn't I have a better mindset? So that got me down looking inwardly. So what I would now say my inner game versus my outer game. So my my inner game was was the thing that was going to shift the results that I was going to get. So it was just a complete different attitude. And one of the key things I learned was that we get conditioned over a long period of time to think a certain way. And unless we can question in that conditioning, whether it's an attitude, whether it's habits, routines, all these things, then you're not going to make the shift because your conditioning can be pretty powerful and and stops you. That's why you get into these ruts and it's hard to see outside of them. So, you know, in that period, as I said, did a lot of study around human behavior, started to work out that if I changed my world rather than trying to change the external world, then maybe things would look differently. And so that created more opportunity because I was showing up differently. I was there to serve rather than worried about my problems. And I let go of all the consequences, which has been a huge, huge um, lesson for me. And it's what's helped me thrive right through you know, the last 10, 12 years is that when you let go of the outcome, that energy flows across to the client that you're trying to serve and you connect a whole lot better. And therefore you get attracted to more people. And then the referral started the flow and it just went, from month to month, quarter to quarter, year to year, exponential growth started to happen. And of course, the more I was getting those results, the more I wanted to find out, okay, what's going on now? You know, what's going on now with me? And that's what led me down to understanding about neurobiology and neuroscience and understanding, you know, the human condition and why we do what we do and why we don't. So, I, you know, then I became a bit of a obsessive about it, to be fair, for a good three to four year period. But uh, the good thing was that I was getting the results, right? And that's the ultimate measure is that the results start to change. And of course, you know, financially, my world changed, my relationships changed better. You know, I was able to provide my family better, which was, you know, my key key driver, my core driver. And so, yeah, learning a lot of lessons about, you know, looking inwardly versus looking outwardly. And, you know, what I've come to now with a whole bunch of study around all this is that your external world will be driven by what's going on internally. And, if we want to find solutions to our external world, it's not looking out, outside of yourself. It's looking inward to yourself to see what the changes you can make. And it's easier to change yourself in the environment than trying to change the environment to suit where you are. That's, I suppose that's the big lesson out of this. Yeah, yeah. And you, and you mentioned when you were, when you started to focus more on giving than, you know, than just your own problems, uh, it, it reminds me, a bit of like Bob Berg's sort of book, The Go-Giver uh, concept. Uh, I think it's called The Go-Giver is, is the name of the book, and he's done a, a few books around that theme. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you have you found that the more you've focused on giving, the more you've opened up financially? Yeah. 100%. So particularly in the real estate world, right, because it's a pretty – dog eat dog you know it's you're not known you know the industry is not known for being compassionate and uh, uh, towards customers it's very much you know um cutthroat you know and i have a view that is it the industry that makes the people or is it the people that make the industry and you know it people think it's the people that make the industry but i think it's the way the industry flows but re regardless of that um to answer your question or to look to, to dive into your question yeah, again, lots of different influences over the time, but it became a pattern that when I started studying high-performance people, 
this was one of the common threads is that people who look to serve others and help others and put others needs before their own actually get more of what they want. And so that led me to understanding is that this key thing of let go in of the consequences that we place on the outcome, because that's an internal mindset that we go, okay, if I don't get this deal, or if this doesn't happen, and I don't make this five or 10 or $15,000, whatever it is, that's going to impact me in a way. Well, that's just all conjured up in your own mind. It's And guess what? Your client doesn't care about that. That's not part of their problem. They're not, they're not even thinking about that. So we create all this. And of course, then we take that energy towards the relationship that we're trying to build. And what I've come to know, studying a lot of neurobiology, is our nervous system is well attuned to that. Maybe our intellectual part of our brain is not because we think we're talking about intellectual, but our emotional system and our nervous system in general is well attuned to the energy flow between two parties that are trying to help each other. Um, and if you're coming to the table, you know, what I would say now is that, and anybody listening to this will go, when you're in a sales type environment, you're trying to help someone, is it your problem that you're looking to solve because you need the money and you need to fill a, a hole somewhere? Or are you arriving with the attitude, I'm here to solve Scott's problem or Bill's problem or Barry's problem or whatever it is? And I think that shift takes away the consequences of the outcome and therefore you attract more people towards you. And look, at the time, sort of 11, 12 years ago, I didn't understand it at this this depth that I do now because I've done the work to figure it out and then I've implemented and I've seen you know exponential rise. And it's not just in my real estate world, it wasn't just you know on the transactional level helping people think it was like you know meeting the better quality developers and meeting the better quality people that were doing big projects and you know meeting them and helping them and just connecting outside. So outside of the transactional stuff where I make money in real estate, then there's opportunities that come towards you that you can make, you know, potentially get involved in a development that could make you hundreds of thousands of dollars, which go on top of these connections that you're making. So the same principles of connection really apply. Let go of the consequences, be there to serve. Um, you know, and I think Peter, uh, I think it's uh, Peter Drucker, probably the last century's thing. One of, one of the things that I learned from listening to him was um, the wrong question is, you know, uh, what's my purpose or who can I be? But it's like, how can you be more useful? That's the better question to ask yourself. How can I be more useful to the person that you're trying to serve? And when you take that attitude towards it, you know, it really connects deeper with the person you're trying to help. And I'm not saying that it works 100% of the time. Of course it doesn't because there's always other parts to it, but it could potentially change your connection and conversion rate to doing business from, you know, 20, 30% to 60 or 70%. And if you, Multiply that over a long period of time, that's significant, like huge. And that's what we're trying to achieve. And, and so I think in my business world over the last, you know, particularly in the last six years, because there was a there was a ramp up period from 2011 through to about 2015, 2016. And then since then, it's just, you know, multiplied significantly. And um, so, yeah, so now I'm in a position where I'm helping other people trying to do this, you know, understand it. And uh, which is cool. So, that, and that's what I enjoy doing because I think that I've come from a place that I didn't think I would get to. So I'm sure there would be lots of other people in a similar position that would like to achieve more than what they are and, you know, focused in the business niche. Mm. And yeah, so I think, you know, again, answer your question, definitely that arriving with an attitude, a mindset and a strategy to serve. 
and not not to uh, go, what can I get out of this, which is how a lot of business owners tend to look at their business journey. Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. And, and, and so so effectively, by, by, by taking that, moving from like traditional salesmanship to focusing on more of a serving sort of side, because I, I imagine before that you you perhaps did traditional sales training, you know, maybe you did Tom Hopkins or Brian Tracy, or there's a lot of there's a lot of um, you know training courses out there which you know which many of us have done, and then you you almost switch to something which is almost a completely different paradigm. Yeah. Why do you think that paradigm? Because that that was a that was effectively what I'm hearing. Is that was what got you from six figures to seven figures? That was the the big. I'm sure there was a number of things, but that was a big building block to doing it. Why do you think so many people still choose, whether it's in real estate or other other sales roles um, or entrepreneurs, and we're all salespeople and entrepreneurs? Why do you think so many still choose to sell the old way? That's a good question. Um, I like the question comes back to conditioning. So one of the things I mentioned earlier is about our not observing our conditioning. So, you know, young people coming in or new people coming into the sales environment, most people are still teaching with a few tweaks the old methods of selling. And I'll give you a very most recent last 24-hour example where I was talking to a client and they said they'd done some training courses on objection handling I thought that's interesting because my view is, well, what do we do in the process so we don't even get to objections? Yeah. So, so that's the paradigm shift is the old way is like, okay, we need to have the sequence of events to get to the point. So when you get the objections, you're ready to handle the objections. So that's like now trying to fix the, the cancer, right? Versus yep. what's the preventative measure? Measure. What do we do in our lifestyle or the things that we've got control over that potentially can stop the cancer happening in the first place? And that's the paradigm shift in sales is what can you do in the sales process where you connect deeper with the other human, because we are human to human after all, um, and not build this up so that when we get to the objections, we've got the three, four slick answers to answer. Because what happens in the objection process, just to highlight this, is that the reason there's an objection is because the hum, the person that you're dealing your prospect isn't safe with what's being said. They don't trust them. And their, their intellectual mind is responding to their internal nervous system and go, what is it that you can say to get out of this without being rude, without being... So I'm going to find three or four things that... And then ultimately, if you're the objection handler and you go, yeah, I can fix that. Yeah, I can fix that. You end up with... Uh, let me just think about it for a day or a week or whatever, because there's nowhere to go generally after that, right? So you've, because their nervous system isn't still connected with you, their emotional system hasn't, which is, by the way, the emotional system we know is the one that makes the decision. It's not our intellectual brain. The intellectual brain is just following the path of the emotional system. So, so that's part of the answer. The other part of the answer is that um, when Tom Hopkins and, and crew Let's 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 put Tom Hopkins at the thing because I think most people know that he you know 40, 50 years ago he was the pinnacle of sales training. I don't know about you, Scott, but I know that the world's changed significantly since then to now, right? So in the last 20 years, with the amount of 
internet messages, Facebook, TikTok, fill in the blank, email marketing, you know, you're a guru at that, all that sort of stuff, right? There's messages and marketing messages coming at you left, right and centre, whereas 40, 50 years ago, it was not, not even a fraction of that. So some of the old style methods potentially worked, but now what we need to get to is what I believe in a new system, uh, you know, a new way of selling is this connecting at a human level because that's the bit that most people aren't doing that's going to help you stick out from the crowd. And apart from sticking out from the crowd, it works because you're now connecting with someone that you can help them uncover what's going on in their problem, not dealing at the surface level, what I would say at the core level, what's going on at the core level, again, from human behaviour training, the surface level of the person's problem that's going to show up isn't the motivator. It's the core problem that's one or two below that we need to figure out what it is. That's the motivator of why they want to do a change or buy your product or service or whatever it is. You as a salesperson need to connect with them at a level that you can align yourself or feel, make them feel understood at the core level. When they feel understood at the core level, they're now connecting you at a completely different level. And when you get to the so-called objections, there isn't any because they're thinking about how do we make this happen or where we're going, not how can I get out of this transaction and I've got to come up with objections. So it's like, let's get a preventative measure in place, which is a natural process of connecting with another human at a human level because unless you're dealing with a robot and we're dealing with humans, human condition is being neurologically imprinted within us for millions of years, right? So we're not going to change that. So if you understand that at a deeper level and, and so what, I, what I've done myself and now helping others to understand is how do you make that human connection? How do you have a sequence of questions that helps them uncover their pain or their, um, you know, their core problem that you can connect with? And then what's the sequence of helping them move forward? And that's going to give you a much, much better outcome. Plus, it's not a salesy process. So if you're a business owner, I would argue that if you've been in business three to four to five years, so you've got something of substance, you never got into business in the first place because you were good at sales. You got into business because you were good at or you enjoyed or you had a passion about delivering whatever your product or service is in your field of expertise. The, I want to learn how to sales and make a, make a connection and so I can get more customers that I can serve. That's like an afterthought. And so what I want to do now is help people connect those two to go, okay, you've got something of substance, you've reached a certain level in your business life, and maybe that's that six, fig, six figure, two, three, four, five hundred grand. And if you've got a desire and a want to go to a million dollars plus, so one million, two million, three million, five million, I'm saying that, okay, you weren't born as a salesperson, none of us are. It's a skill that you need to acquire. And so my journey is one is acquire the skill, believe in the skill, understand what's going on at a human level so you can connect deeper with other people. And in this process, you learn more about yourself. When you learn more about yourself, which all comes back to self-awareness, you start to learn more about the people around you. Therefore, you can connect better with them. You can understand why they are behaving in the ways they are, and you can help them evolve to where it is. And, and then, so, you know, the sales, and, you know, I often joke with people, about, I've never put my head on a bus stop. I've never put my head on a rubbish bin is what you see most real estate agents do to try and get awareness. It's been built through human connection, helping other people get their results and going back to what you said before, you know. So so I think, you know, the human connection and why there's old paradigm still there, I think it's a bit of we don't know what we don't know, right? So you tend to go back 
to what everybody else is doing. And, you know, that that's that's human conditioning. We all have that and we need to figure out why that's happening and and how do we overcome that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And so so in many ways your your approach is contrarian, right? And and I think there's a there's a really good saying. Uh it's not it's a personal development saying, and I'm the name of the person who said it uh has escaped me. But it's like look at what everyone else is doing and do the opposite. How important do you think that is to become a seven-figure entrepreneur? Because in reality, it's it's a very small percentage of, of business owners who crack yeah. that seven-figure barrier. How important is it to be contrarian and do things differently to the average in order to in order to do that? Okay, so great question. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> um, and the reason I say that is because, so I, I've heard that too. I could be wrong, but I think it was Jim Rowan was the first one that said that. It's like, whatever people are doing, look, look the opposite way and go that path. Um, go back for you. So he was a man of much wisdom. Um, but so that's the surface level, right? So this is sort of what ties into what I was saying before. So being contrarian is a surface level, but what's underneath being contrarian that's stopping you doing that? And that's the comfort zone, right? So underneath that is the comfort zone. Is that, is it going to be comfortable? Do I become vulnerable? Do I have to go and say things that other people are potentially aren't going to approve and accept of me, go and do something different that's going to push me outside my comfort zone to go swim against the tide? That's essentially what we're doing. So then it becomes, well, what's going on in your world, who you are internally, that's potentially creating this to think that way. And when you maybe work through that, realise that, well, being a contrarian isn't dangerous. Nobody's going to put you in jail for being a, a contrarian. So one of the ways to go from being a six-figure entrepreneur to a seven-figure entrepreneur, and I think anybody who's got seven figures and has worked through all that, whatever whatever that you know field or endeavour there is, they will say there's been times where I had to push through the comfort zone to do something that was uncomfortable, whatever that may be, stand in front of a group, new marketing system, go out and potentially risk losing to winning, all those types of things. Right? So they're all outside the comfort zone, which is part of being contrarian. So for me, I know that a lot of people are going to give me the old, oh, don't tell me, I've been doing sales for 15 years and 20 years and you know I've been doing it this way for so long. That's cool, right? So if it's serving you, keep me up. Right? I'm only interested in talking to people who say, actually, what I'm doing at the moment isn't quite serving me to where I want to go, and I wouldn't mind having a conversation to see whether this is good for me, right? So that's the point. But to go back to your question is that being contrarian requires you to go outside your comfort zone. And what we know in any business endeavour, there's never a straight line to success. There's always another challenge around the corner. So what I learned in my neuroscience training was that there's two major elements to shifting outside the comfort zone and shifting our neural pathways, our conditioning. The first one is cognitive dissonance. In other words, thinking differently to why everybody else is thinking, contrarian views. And the second one is pushing through emotional discomfort, which is the comfort zone. So those two elements are the keys to changing your neural pathways, which helps you drive into a new direction, which is what we need to be able to push through the 500 to 600 to 800 the million dollar barrier to get whatever it is because it's only conditioning that's keeping you where you are and your mindset 
not necessarily the skill set because the skill set is obtainable. You can do a course, pay some money, get the skills, but it's the implementation of that, the application of that, the adaption to what you're learning along the way. The, the other element of all that, when you get in the com- and when you're pushing outside the comfort zone, this has been a huge lesson for me, which I want to share with as many people as want to listen, is that insight comes from within the process, not external of the process. So in other words, if you're going to push through the cognitive dis- dissonance and you're going to go through the emotional comfort, get in the game and do what you need to do because you'll learn more inside the game than you will from trying to over-engineer it and plan it from outside the game. And another mentor of mine, Todd Herman, who's a you know long-time business elite coach who I've done a few courses with and learned his stuff, he talks about being in the field of play. And if you're listening to people who are outside the field of play, they're telling you what to do, you're probably listening to the wrong person. You should be listening to people who are in the field of play who've done it and not listening to potentially, uh, you know, keyboard consultants which have learned something and are now trying to tell you how to do it from outside the process. So I think those two things or two or three things that have helped me push through that barrier to the point now where, I can move away. My six, you know, seven-figure business, multi-million-dollar business, is sort of thriving and moving forward without my involvement. I get to choose now: do I get involved at five hours a week, or fifteen, or twenty hours? That's my choice too. And I can now move to do other things I want to do, which is, you know, talk about this sort of subject if you like. But uh, they're the they're the key elements. So, you know, interestingly, out of all the questions that you've asked me today, I haven't answered with any with a particular skill that you need on how to. I think it's more about attitude, mindset, how you think about this. You know, who are you internally? How is that showing up in the world? You know, are you aware of how you're showing up in the world? You know, have you got any internal self-awareness? Are you aware of how other people react to you? That's external self-awareness. In other words, I have a conversation with you. I wonder how Scott feels about what I've just said here. And be attuned to that. Because it matters. If I want to connect with you because I see you as a good relationship going forward and we can do business together and I'm not paying attention to how you're reacting to me, it's not going to go very far. Mm, yeah. And and you you talked about, and you're right, you've, you've talked about mindset a lot in this conversation. And and I've often heard the, th- the, the saying, hey, you just need to change your mindset. And I remember when I felt quite stuck you know, I would read books and I do, you know, I do like I was like obsessed with this question. How do I change my mindset? So I'm going to put this across and and I have created breakthroughs over the stages and gone to the next level. I'm like, why did I struggle so much back then? I can't actually, I, I can sort of define what changed, but not totally. And I'm curious to hand it over to you as someone who has cracked that seven figure barrier. How do you change your mindset? Um, I think I think it's repetitive actions, right? So I think once you so go back to the what the neuroscience is telling us about changing neural pathways. So neural pathways is about you know um, creating new methods of thinking and doing stuff. So you know our brain has got whatever. Let's call it eighty six billion. I think is the number that's quoted different neural pathways that are going on at any given time. So, But the strongest ones are the ones that you're conditioned to do. And you'll always, whenever the pressure goes on, you'll generally go back to what you're conditioned to do, whether that's values, beliefs, everything else that underpins all that. So it's not just one thing. But the, the, the way to unpack your question is 
it's not an overnight thing, right? So it's a it's a, a new conditioning to a new way of thinking, doing. What underpins all that is how you're feeling. So if you get new evidence, so in my case, I started changing the way I did things. I pushed through the, the cognitive dissonance. I said, okay, I've been doing it that way. Maybe there's a different way. Let's go contrarian. Let's think about this. How is this going to work? And, and it became more of a natural process. Then what happens is over a period of one week, one month, or, or five months, you start to get new evidence of things that are happening. Now your brain is going, see, you got some new evidence there. That worked. Maybe we should do more of that. That then becomes the new conditioning and the new part, neural pathway if you stay consistent and true. The biggest One of the mistakes that people make in evolving themselves is they make a breakthrough, they shift, and they go, right, I've got it all sorted now, right? I've, I've, I've made that shift. But it's the continued consistency of changing the way that you do, which holds you in good stead, which pays the dividends at the end. It's no different to, you know, you want to lose weight, as I'm trying to at the moment in the gym. And it's like, if I go there for three months, go really hard, yes, I'll get a result. But if I don't stop, keep on going, to, or if I stop going to the gym and I go back to bad eating habits, well, it's, it's going to go back to where I was. The same thing with shifting your mindset. It's about practicing the new stuff that you learn. As said, the key thing there is that you get new evidence. The new evidence then you need to support and go, okay, I want to double down and do this more, which is sort of my story was as I started to get new results from the changes I was making, I went deeper. I said, okay, why am I getting these results now? What's going on with me? What have I changed? What's been my routine? What am I saying in the conversation? What's the energy flow? You know, I got right deep into it. And then as again, neuroscience will help us understand this, that becomes the new normal, the new routine, the new habit. And then it becomes natural to do it. So you don't have to stop and think every time. Now, each time I meet a new client, it's, I don't even think about it. It's just, I fall into this pattern of who I am, how I'm showing up, how can I serve you? The consequences are gone. Do I care whether I make this $5,000 or not? Yes, I do, but not enough to stop me serving this person to make sure they get what they want, right? And Dropping all that. So that that then becomes new. So the mindset shift is, I suppose, you know, it's a case of how long does it take? It's different for each individual person depending on where they're at, how much conditioning they've had, how stuck they are in their ways. Um, and, you know, the change process can be very quickly in certain circumstances. New evidence comes in. Right, this is now working. I'm going to go heavy with that. But I can tell you that if you drop off the consistency and you haven't, you know, use a, use a brain surgeon, uh, a neuroscience terminology, that neural pathway isn't myelinated enough. In other words, it means it hasn't got enough wrapping to keep it strong. So even in times of uh, doubt, as soon as you have the moment of doubt, then it's not myelinated enough. So that neural pathway will quickly drop away. So what we're going to do is over a period of time is keep insulating that neural pathway with more consistent activity that become so strong that now we get into the flow state, which is what the flow state's about. It's like neural pathway, it just comes natural to you. So Michael Jordan running down the court, shooting hoops from the outside of the arc, all that, that's because he's in a flow state and he's done it in repetition. It's not the first time he stepped out in the court done. He's done it 20, 30, 40, 50,000 times. And his neural pathways are now, and he keeps on practicing it. You know, maybe Michael Jordan is, uh, is for my generation, whereas now it's like Steph Curry, if you're in the NBA, Steph Curry, same thing. You know, Steph Curry doesn't show up just for game day. He's practicing hours and hours and hours to get those neural pathways. And when he's in the moment and the pressure's on, it comes natural to him. He doesn't have to stop and think, oh, how do I do this again? 
there's no difference. So the mindset is a huge, huge part. And I think there's definitely a lot of misconception around mindset and probably an overused word. In some of the trainings that I do, I tend to change the terminology a little bit and call it mental frameworks. So you need to change your mental frameworks, how you're seeing things. And sometimes that different terminology, it doesn't glaze people's eyes over and they go, oh, tell me what mental framework is. Well, it's what different to the way you see things and how you interact things and how you're observing and understanding that your conditioning is creating a mental framework. That one's not working for you based on what you've told me. Maybe if we change the mental framework and look at it differently and start practicing that, we might get different results. And that resonates a bit better than you need to change your mindset. <laughs> so yeah. Like- yeah. It's it's very it's very broad. You need to change your mindset. And I like the I like the term mental framework. Like, like there's a book called The Talent Code, which I read years ago. And the, he, he, I don't know if you've read it or not, but it's it's brilliant. And he talks about the myelin sheaths, and he looks at like all the uh, all the most talented, you know, people in the world in different, you know, like talent hotspots. And one of the one of the things he talked about was Brazil, right? So in Brazil, they play soccer when they're young up to a certain age in on like the small fields, and so by playing on those small fields. They get a lot more touches than you do if you play on a big field. And so you get better at what you do. So if we take this, if we apply that metaphor to running a seven-figure, you know, to moving towards going from, let's say, you know, five figures or six figures to cracking the seven-figure code, how would you, because I'm looking at a scientific way of going, okay, if I want to get better at soccer, I need to touch the ball more. If I want to crack, go from six figures to seven figures, what's the equivalent of touching that ball more? Well, it probably comes back to what I said before about insight comes from within the process. So doing the process more of it, creating more opportunities to practice what will work and, or, you know, this new idea of, i.e. touching the ball, you have to touch more customers, but you can't, you can't use old methods. In other words, go back to the, the kids in Brazil, um, and every every elite athlete will say is like, you can't just train and just show up. You've got to train at a high level. You've got to then analyze what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? How do I improve? Um, otherwise, if you just train all the time but do it the same way, you're not going to improve. You're not, you're not pushing through that emotional discomfort, which is the bit that changes the actual neural pathway. So, so it's one of a process of analysis. So firstly, becoming aware. Um, so, you know, I have a, you might be surprised with this, um, Scott, but I do have a structure around this sort of framework, <laughs> which I'm happy to share quickly, but it's a five, it's the five A's, right? So the first A is awareness. You need to become aware of what's not working. And then the second A is a, a acceptance. Do I accept that this is not working? Because if you haven't, if you haven't accepted where you are, any action you take after that is most likely going to fail because you actually didn't accept in the first place that this is something that I need to do. So, right? so first A is awareness. And we go back to self-awareness, understanding what you don't know, getting more information, cognitive distance, working against the contrarian, all that stuff, right? That's new awareness. And then it's like acceptance. Okay, what I'm doing isn't serving me. Maybe if I do this differently, that will serve me. I'm convinced that I'm, I'm on the wrong path. And then the third A is what action do I need to take? What can I learn that will be the action I need to take? So you then take that action. The fourth A is what assistance do I need? Do I need coaching? Do I need to read a book? Do I need to do a course? Do I need to do whatever it is, right? So what assistance 
do I need to help me? So this comes back to doing the drills better. So one of my coaches keeps saying to me, you've got to do the drills to get the skills, right? So that's his terminology to me. So if you do the drills, you get the skills, which comes back. So that's the assistance. What do you need to learn? Who do you need to coach? Who's your accountability partner, potentially all that? And then the fifth A is a method of assessment. What? How are you assessing what is happening to know whether you're moving in the direction that you want? Guess what happens with that assessment? That assessment creates a new awareness and then takes you around this circle. So I call it the circle of five A's, and it's awareness, acceptance, action, assistance, and assessment. And if you if you start to flow through this circle, it helps you move through the 500 barrier, the 600 barrier, the 700 and so on through to a million dollars or whatever it is your goal, right? Because we're talking here about getting through that seven-figure barrier, which not many people do in business. But that's a structure and a framework, you know, in and around what we've been talking about today is that, well, how do you shift the way you think, the way you behave? And one of the things underneath that is look internally. What's your emotional system telling you? Why is it because you don't want to push up against the comfort zone you don't want to push outside that that's an awareness that's an acceptance if you go i know i'm i always go outside the comfort zone but in reality you don't you're not accepting the real thing that's going on so therefore the action that you take is going to fall back and this is going back to conditioning right so it's it's all it's all looped intertwined so very much a mental game everything i mean yes the skills have the coal face of what you need to do and how you need to do it they're this as I said, you've got to do the drills to get the skills. And the only way you can do that is get in the game and practice and practice and practice. And when you do that, and if you're doing it well, you will get the assessment of what's working and what's not working. And you quickly start to shift the way you're doing things because you get the evidence of what's working and what's not working. It's no different to a new marketing system or a new website or a new fill in the blank, whatever it is that you're doing in your business. You'll know pretty quickly if you've got a way of measuring whether it's working or not. Yeah. It's not really rocket science. It's just about applying, you know, the, the principles and the process and the structure. Yeah. And if we look at if we look at your story, like looking back, that's what you like what you've shared with us today so you know you became aware that you were struggling and your mindset was wrong and and you accepted it and, and I guess uh, John McGrath helped you with that awareness uh, and then you started to take action and you know look for look for assistance on what you were going and then it kept assessing along the way how you were tracking and that's really if we if we really look at it how you move from that six-figure to that seven-figure entrepreneur with, I think, sales being, and I'm sure there was many other components, but sales being at the cornerstone of that. Uh, now, now I know you, you know, you're very within your second, let's call it your second business. Wouldn't we all love to have a, a, a first business we didn't have to worry about so we could have a second business, you know, so <laughs> that we can do just for fun. But within your uh, within your second business, like how can people listening to this uh, podcast today reach out to you and find out you know more about what you you know how you can help them? Cool, thanks, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, so just context. Um, I'm branded at high level selling because it's all about relational selling, not transactional selling, and understanding the difference between the two. But yeah, the, the, the answer is, uh, I think LinkedIn, uh, I don't think you'll find too many Tyra Minutillo's 
uh, on LinkedIn. So pretty easy to find me there. And yeah, just send a message via that platform. Um, I've got a website, um, which is my coaching website, adagy.com. So it's A-T-T-E-R-G-Y. And that name is was born out of my resurrection, which is attitude and energy. Those two words together form adagy. Um, which is the foundational building blocks of moving forward. You've got to have a different attitude and you need to apply different energy to it, which is the life force that we have. And when you focus that in the direction, you'll get to where it is you say you want to go with some help. So through those two mediums, um, yeah. So if, but the easiest thing to connect would be via LinkedIn. Uh, love to talk to anybody who's interested in this. Um, there won't be anything to buy when you talk to me, even if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> it will just be it will just be a conversation and then i'll help you in the direction that you might need to take whatever that looks like and then leave you to uh digest it so yeah i'd love to talk to people about this sort of stuff hopefully what's come out of today is i'm passionate about it i think you know when you when you you overcome the hurdles of a business life and you know i often say you know when i get an opportunity to talk to groups and things is that you know if you're out, if you got out in the business in your own and you survived past a two to three year barrier, which is usually a barrier, you know, 90 plus percent of people fall out before then, is that you already reached an elite company and you you obviously have to have some courage to push through some discomfort already. But are you getting the best out of yourself? And that's the next phase is to understand is um, are you just drifting along, not happy with it? And if you are happy with it, you're not going to listen to anybody anyway and go for it. That's fine. But if you're at a place where you potentially have reached a, a plateau, which often happens in business, whether that's a financial plateau, a mental plateau, I don't know what I'm doing plateau anymore. I don't even know why I'm doing the plateau. They're all good questions to ask. And the last thing I'll say about that, if I can, is that part of this high-level selling and what I've, you know, again, discovered in my own business journey is when you implement a better way of connecting with the right uh, client is that you then get the confidence to target a higher level client, client that's going to help you move exponentially through those barriers because what ends up happening is we tend to build a business by default which means we don't have a good structure of selling so we go to a low hanging fruit what happens is you end up building a business over seven eight nine ten years based on clients that you don't really want but because they're the the ones that have got a wallet and show up and you don't have a system to how to connect with better quality clients, they keep you at this bracket because they're very time-consuming, they're not as profitable. But when you have a system that gives you confidence to go to higher-level clients, what I call higher-level clients, and these are people that want a relationship, want the expertise that you have, don't want to be shopping around all the time, more efficiency in your business, more profitability, and that's the business that I've built outside of this in the real estate companies, built the business that we, you know, um, we often joke about, you know, dare I say, you know, is this is this person dickhead proof? Are they going to cause us um, more drama than what it's worth? In which case then we'd rather not deal with them. And when you've got a confidence in what you're doing and your sales process and you can then target higher value clients, you're building a business by design that you want. You get less burnout. You probably get to a stage where I'm at where you can probably put away because you've got systems and processes in place that allow you to build a better quality business. And I think underpinning everything I'm doing now is to get that message across, is that when you have a better spearhead, which is your sales process, to attract and convert better, higher-value clients, that's going to give you a better business life and you start building a business by design. 
and not wake up three, 10, 15 years down the track and go, I've got this business that I don't really want now. It's not the clients I really want to work with. I don't like going to work every day. I don't feel energized. And you get trapped in it. And there's lots and lots of business owners that I've met who are in that in that space, but they don't know how to get out of it. They're not looking for assistance, which comes back to those those um, you know five A's. What's the action that you take and what's the assistance that you're getting? And you don't have to suffer in those businesses. You can evolve through it if you get you know the right help. So yeah, that's um, that's why people should connect with me and maybe have a conversation just to see if I can stimulate them to do something differently. Yeah, no, that, that's that's great. That, thanks so much for your time today, Torren. I think it's been a wealth of wisdom that you've shared and really, uh, I think, some, some huge takeaways on what it actually takes to go from, you know, from a, a six-figure business and to scale that seven-figure summit. So appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us today. Excellent. Appreciate the opportunity too, Scott. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation, mate. Likewise. Scott Bywater here, and thank you for listening to the Seven Figure Summit podcast. If you're a successful seven-figure entrepreneur who'd like to share your journey on this podcast, please visit podcast.copywritingthatsells.com.au. If you got something out of this interview, I'd love it if you could share this episode on social media. Likewise, if you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Seven Figure Summit. There's nothing I love more than seeing your posts and guest suggestions. Now, we're regularly putting out new episodes of content, so to make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to my team and I. If you'd like to connect, go to copywritingthatsells.com.au or follow me on LinkedIn or Instagram under Scott Bywater. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.